He's a police officer. About 10 weeks after leaving field training, as a rookie, he was assigned to extremely violent riots where many people were injured. He's here to tell his story of being in the riots, the reality they faced, and life after. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. We are thrilled to partner with Shatterproof at FHE, the world-renowned treatment program for first responders, because at times, helpers need help. Exclusive treatment services for first responders who may suffer from exposure to trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, and substance abuse. For free 24-7 information, call 833-776-1420. 833-776-1420. That's 833-776-1420. Or online at FHEHealth.com. That's FHEHealth.com. Under programs, you'll find details about Shatterproof contacts of north carolina we have bill broadway on the phone bill is a police officer in north carolina former police officer for charlotte mecklenburg and bill first of all thank you for your service and secondly thanks for being guest on the law enforcement today show very much appreciated yeah thanks for having me jay i appreciate it you got a perspective we don't get to hear very often we're going to talk about your experience in, in riots but before we do that let's just give a brief overview of how long you've been in law enforcement I've been a sworn police officer since 2016. Uh, I started the academy in the fall of 2015, so sworn in 2016. Gotcha. And the first several years were in Charlotte-Mecklenburg, correct? Correct. About the first six years were in Charlotte with the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department. My last half year is with my current agency. Charlotte-Mecklenburg is one of those agencies, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think of it as a big city. It is a big city. And it has all the big city crime and problems that all other big cities across the United States have. But for some reason, it just seems to fly under the radar as far as my awareness. I think of Baltimore, Philadelphia, Boston, New York, uh, at Miami. Things. I don't think about Charlotte. I think about Atlanta. I think about those agencies. How big is Charlotte-Mecklenburg? And also, how bad is the crime problem there? Yeah, so I think Charlotte, fortunately, I guess, gets lost with a lot of the other stuff going on on the East Coast. Um, the city of Charlotte, or the, the, the area that's covered by the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Police Department, covers almost uh, almost a million people. The department itself uh, is anywhere between 1,800 and 2,000 sworn. I'm not sure of the most current data. Uh, but it's, I mean, it's a fairly large agency in a fairly large city, top 20 in the United States last time I looked. Yeah. And it's, it's got a great reputation. I'm not here to slander them. I'm not here to knock them. All agencies have good points and bad points in your career. We're going to focus on in particular, your experience during the riots. And we say the riots, I was involved in Jamaican riots in Baltimore and we as police put names on them so we can differentiate between one and the other. I don't want people to misconstrue that as saying, oh, it's specific about a certain group. It's not that at all. It's just so we can differentiate one from the other. 
how long have you been a police officer before you got assigned to handle these riots? I was about 10 weeks out of field training, so not very long. Still trying to figure everything out. You were a stone-cold rookie. Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. When you're 10 weeks out of the academy and field training, I'll tell you. Well, 10 weeks out of field training. I've been out of the academy. We had, I believe, about a 16-week field training. But, yeah, 10 weeks out of the field training, 10 weeks in a car by myself. That was right around the time period where other officers, senior officers, started talking to me. Before that, it was like, hey, you're a stone-cold rookie. We, We don't know about you. Yeah, we were all pretty young on night shifts, so we didn't have a lot of, like, older senior officers. I think we had a couple guys that had been on for 10-plus years, but most of us were right around. Uh, a lot of a lot of the quote-unquote veteran guys were, like, in the three- to five-year range at that time. And what riots were occurring when you were 10 weeks out of field training? It was 2016. It was right on the heels of the Ferguson thing going on in Missouri, um, and a lot of the a lot of the public trust and everything was just, it's just kind of, it was, it was, it was kind of, uh, you know, the public was starting to not trust law enforcement officers. So 2016, there'd been an officer involved shooting in Charlotte. One of our, um, and I won't go too much into details. I'm not sure where the litigation and everything is for the criminal and the civil end of that. But, um, one of our specialized units was out. They were going to serve a warrant they were plainclothes unit, unmarked vehicles at the time conducting surveillance. Uh, when they were going to make the apprehension, they had uh, the tax vest that said police and everything to throw on. But for the most part, they were plainclothes units. They're out surveillance, trying to uh, set up to set up to serve an unrelated warrant. They observed the subject in the vehicle unrelated to their warrant. Um, I don't know the full details, but I know they determined he was smoking marijuana, and there was probably other stuff. But at that point, they determined that he that he had to be addressed. So they regrouped, threw on their their vests with police and everything, and approached him. Um, he exited the vehicle, displayed a firearm. At some point, an officer perceived deadly a deadly force threat and shot and killed him. Um, all that's been played out through the internal investigation, the state investigation, and no criminal charges were filed. Uh, so those are the facts of the case. Unfortunately, the era we were in then and now, the misinformation came out and the public got the narrative within hours that he was sitting in his car reading his book, reading a book, and he was executed by police. Right, right. Well, we, so, get that all the, we used to get that in the 80s. It, they were minding their own business when they got accosted by the police. That's what the, right. the headlines just say all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's and that's 100 percent what was happening. He was minding his own business and the police executed him. So that went out on social media and it just caught fire. Like I said, it's on the heels of Ferguson and the whole hands up, don't shoot garbage. So yeah, which everyone is, was disproven, thoroughly disproven. That was not fact. That was an absolute lie. And and right. We was in the media. They use a term nowadays, misinformation. I use it a couple of times that when you're explaining this. That's a term we use quite a bit for lies that are not actually <laughs> true. And what they're done is they're done to inflame opinion and, and create controversy so that people will buy the newspaper, buy the magazine, listen, tune into the radio news, which I do. Also, watch the news on television and clickbaits on social media. But people still fall for it. Oh, yeah. 100% they fell for it. Um, and you and I both know, Jay, that when there's an officer-involved shooting, there's going to be a thorough investigation. Yeah. But we need that crime scene, and we need time so that we can conduct it 
conduct the investigation, collect every single shred of evidence. And no one wants to wants to discover if it was a good or a bad shoot more than the police, more than especially the good cops. But all the cops want to know, was it a good shoot? Was it a bad shoot? Well, another However, thing too is because you, of the lies. We also can't um, go out there and, and, and put a lot of information out because it can discredit the investigation. And a lot of the initial information, and I'll go back to the Beltway Snipers thing. When they're putting out information about that, it turned out to be wrong. And it shaped and influenced the direction of the investigation. And more people probably got hurt and killed. That was wrong information. It happens all the time. Another one is you, you got prosecution. So there's a thing where you can't put out a lot of information beforehand because it can discredit the pro- prosecution, especially if it's wrong information to begin with. Correct, correct. And the important thing is to get the truth out, not get information out first. Unfortunately, where we're at is if it's first, get the information out first and then worry about if it's true later on. Absolutely. We're talking with Bill Broadway. Bill is a police officer in North Carolina, former officer with Charlotte Mecklenburg. When we return, we're going to talk about his experience in the riots. This is the Law Enforcement Show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Every day you put on your uniform and go to work, someone may be counting on you to be there for them in a life or death situation because emergencies can happen at any time and to anyone. The question is, where do first responders turn when they are in crisis? At FHE Health, our specialized treatment program has helped many first responder families successfully manage PTSD, addiction, and other mental health issues. Struggling? Call FHE Health today at 833-776-1420 or online at FHEHealth.com. Hey, folks, when you have a chance, check out our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. When you get there, click like and follow. That's click like and follow Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. This is the Law Enforcement Show, returning to our conversation with Bill Broadway, who is a police officer in North Carolina, a former officer with Charlotte Mecklenburg, North Carolina Police Department, and he's been on the job about six plus years. About 10 weeks after field training, riots broke out, uh, officer-involved shooting, which we talked about, the Ferguson, Missouri was going on at that time, which by the way, how far away is Ferguson, Missouri from Charlotte, North Carolina? Approximately. Um, uh, you know, climate-wise, we probably get similar climate, but we're relatively far away. We're not that close. Right. So the point I'm getting at is people get upset about something that happened in Los Angeles and take it out in Baltimore police or stuff that happens in Missouri, which is based off not factual truth, otherwise known as lies, and they take it out yeah. on police in Charlotte. They have nothing to do with this. We're different cities, different jurisdictions, different laws, different policies and procedures. And in many ways, Bill, this is just my opinion, we are still paying the price for the atrocities committed by so-called police in Alabama and Birmingham in the civil rights movement. And how many years ago was that? Right. We've, we've made tremendous progress as society away from that. But the thing is, here you are, you're a police officer, you're, you're 10 weeks out of field training, and the riots start happening. How did you get notified, and what happened next? Yeah, so I reported to roll call that night, and we're sitting in roll call. Uh, the sergeant's like, just going over the stuff, and he says, anybody's part of the Civil Emergency Unit, or CEU, and that's something we had all been, had been trained on for a day in the academy. Um, anybody that's part of the CEU, 
make sure you have your equipment with you on duty tonight. And I was aware that there had been an officer involved shooting just because I clicked on the news when I woke up that afternoon, cause I'm working night shifts. So, uh, but I'm like, what, why? Because, you know, Charlotte's a big city, you know, there's, there's big city problems and big city crime. We had had officer involved shootings earlier that year, this is September. I mean, um, I'm like, why, why, why do we need a right here? And the Sergeant said, well, they're starting, starting to get ugly on scene. They're thinking about or we're going to, we're going to have to pull the detectives out of there and, and clear out. I'm like, okay. So load up my gear, head to my first call. Cause there's a call holding in my zone. So I head over to that call about halfway through talking to this victim. We just get radio traffic, all officers who are part of the civil emergency unit. We need you to respond to headquarters, emergency traffic. And I work downtown. So headquarters are like four blocks away. I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty serious. What's going on. So get in my car, which by the way, whoever had driven it before me left me with about a quarter tank of gas that night. So Isn't that the way you, we jokingly used to say we had broken seats held up by two by fours, boxes of uh, food debris, no gas. And you got 13 calls stacked up and that's just the way it was when you got your car. Right. hundred percent. But yeah. here wasn't so just I'm me. Back. No, apparently that's a common thing nationwide, <laughs> nationwide gas epidemic for police. But, uh, so I got a quarter tank gas. I just hit the blue. I'm like, wrap up my call, hit the blue lights, go to police headquarters. There's a, a command captain and barely like a foot. Out, I have a, barely have a foot out of my car door. And she's like, grabs another officer, says, you and you get in the car, go to the staging location. So we hop in my car and we're driving just blue lights to this staging location. And like I said, Charlotte's a big city. So I didn't know exactly where the staging location was, but I had been on long enough to know that when I got close, I just tuck in and follow the rest of the blue lights that were heading to that location. We tuck in, we get there, it's this church and it's just, it's dark and it's probably about a mile, mile and a half from the actual scene of the officer involved shooting and, and where the unrest was starting to unfold. They're like, okay, put on your riot gear. So we throw on all our riot gear, the shin, the shin guards, the, the chest protector, the elbow pads, you know, the, the typical riot cop stuff. And we're like, okay, we're, we're ready to go now. They're like, no, get in your cars. We're driving here. So I'm like full riot gear getting a getting a police vehicle with another officer and I'm trying to drive with the full riot gear on, which is not easy to do. And I'd never done before or haven't done since, but, uh, we drive there, we get to the location, we get out of our cars and they're like, line up. Oh, and give your keys to this guy. And then they took our keys and drove our cars away as we're lining up in our line formation to go address the threat. Now, why did they so, take your cars away? I think I know the reason why. What do you speculate? Oh, I speculate because I didn't want them to get destroyed. That's exactly what I was going to say. And here's the reason why I bring this up. First of all, and in, in my experience, we had ride helmets and nightsticks. That's all we had. And we used to call it hats and bats. That's what we called it. We didn't have all the right gear that you guys have. When I say guys, that means men and women. When they take the police cars away, it's so they don't get firebombed and destroyed because... And I hate to say it like this. Sometimes their actions show they care more about their equipment than their people. Yeah, I don't know if that was the case or or if it was just an emotional decision or, or what. But the reason we had been called to that scene, I found out as we were getting lined up, was that they had already taken two police cars. So investigators were on scene investigating the officer-involved shooting and that an angry mob just overtook the scene. They had to clear everybody out, including officers and a couple of cars got left behind and those were just getting destroyed already. So they, they took the cars away. They, they, like I said, we got out of the cars, they took them away. We're getting lined up. 
So at this point in time, there's probably 50 to 60 of us. We're marching down the road in a line formation, and we just see this angry crowd. And it's it's late September, probably about 10 o'clock at night. So it's it's getting dark and getting darker. And we are just marching in the dark, angry crowd. And as you get closer and you can start to make out shapes, you're like, there are a lot of people out here. There's probably 50 to 60 officers. And you're looking, there's probably two to 300 people out there just yelling and just all, all the usual stuff too, just the police and 12 that you, you typically hear. At the time, I'm like, well, this is, this is pretty scary right now. And it's just dark. And we set up in a line formation. I think at this point, the goal was to try to still preserve the scene and restore order so that we could finish up the investigation. But we're in a line formation, and all of a sudden, the crowd just starts throwing stuff at us, water bottles, and this scene happened to be near railroad tracks. So, um, you know those rocks that are at the bedding of railroad tracks that are about softball size? Yep. We're We're taking those. They're throwing those at us. We're taking them off the helmet off the arms and all we have are the, the riot batons. We don't, they hadn't gotten us our shields yet. So we got riot batons. We're taking those in the legs and I think someone got hit in the groin. I mean, it, it's brutal. We're, we get, we're surrounded. We're getting stuff thrown at us. It's dark. I'm 10 weeks out of the Academy. It's the most scared I've ever been in my life. I, I was going to ask when uh, we return, we're going we're gonna to talk about your mental state, what you're going through, your reactions before, during, and well, during and after in particular. This is Law Enforcement Today Show. We'll return to our conversation with Bill Broadway, who is a police officer in North Carolina. And for many years, he was in Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department. And we're talking about the riots he was assigned to. Please download our app. It's 100% free. We got versions for your Android and iPhone devices. You can download them today at our website, which is letradioshow.com. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Flintstone Media has been the digital messaging bedrock of several brands and businesses, serving as a highly resourceful podcast production house and consultancy firm for over six years. Work with a leader in the industry and add a new podcast to your brand's content offerings. From show development and setup through recording and distribution, Jemmy will lend her experience launching dozens of podcasts and producing over a thousand episodes, making creating your show a simple and easy turnkey process for you. Visit FlintstoneMedia.com for podcast samples. That's FlintstoneMedia.com. Every day in America, 17 veterans die by suicide. Four times as many veterans have died by suicide than in combat. At FHE Health, we're on a mission to save more lives. Our specialized treatment program for first responders has helped many military families recover from addictions and mental illness. Are you concerned about a service member in your life or wondering how to help a veteran you love? Call FHE Health now at 833-776-1420, where healing happens one life at a time. That's 833-776-1420, online at FHEHealth.com. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Return our conversation with Bill Broadway. He was a police officer in Charlotte, North Carolina for many years. Now a police officer in another jurisdiction in North Carolina. We're talking about the, the riots you were assigned to. This was shortly after Ferguson, Missouri. Uh, and it was a reaction to lies and a mistruths or falsifications about an officer involved shooting in Charlotte. Before we went to break, 
built. You're talking about you arrived at a scene. You're in full gear. You don't have your shields yet. And your line formation. And by the way, we had, I think, less than a day's training in crowd control and riot control, those sorts of things. And usually what it involved was putting your helmet on, uh, a longer nightstick or a riot stick, as some of you will call it. We called them bats. And we'd line up sometimes in a V formation, and you take a step forward. And every time you took a step forward, you'd jab with a stick and say, Hugh! and that's really what it involved. That was all the, the training we had. Did you have more training than that? Uh, it was a day, maybe two. So it was either it was eight to 16 hours of training in the academy. Do you feel like you had enough time. training to deal with this, this fresh out of the academy and, and field training? I don't think you ever have enough training to deal with that, if I'm being 100% honest. That was more chaos than I was ready for. Uh, uh, before we go into your situation, what your experience was, the ride scenes I've been on, and, and uh, one of the things I tell people is, you know, I'm a praying person. I have been my whole life, but I would pray profusely. Dear God, do not let me be the one who overreacts and loses it. Because one of the things you're taught is don't become part of the problem. We're here to settle things down. We're here to calm things down. And you don't want to have, even though people are yelling at you, they're spitting at you, they're throwing stuff at you, you don't want to be the one that goes off on someone. Was that a fair assessment for you? Oh, for sure. Um, I, I hate to use cliches, but I mean, everyone's heard the phrase, "It was a pow- you're sitting on a powder keg or the tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife. It was definitely like we were being provoked and provoked. And it it was like watching two, like two high school kids or two junior high kids circling each other, getting ready to fight. No one wants to throw the first punch, but when that first punch is thrown, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. So and yeah, my also, first thought was, I, I don't want to be the one to start this thing. And also the crowds want to try to separate you and divide your line. It may not well, they be were conscious. They want to bring you up. Us. That's the thing. You are in so much danger and your hands are tied, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We were, uh, we were out there in our line formation. They started to work their way around and surround us. So we switched to a box formation just so we had full coverage, 360 degree coverage. And I mean, we're still so outnumbered that there's nothing we could do. I mean, we're in this box formation, but we're outnumbered and we're surrounded and we're under equipped at the time for what felt like three or four hours, but it was probably really legitimately 45 minutes to an hour before we got uh, munitions out there. But so we're, getting surrounded people are just doing things that if it's if you're out in a non-riot situation they're going to jail i mean people are spitting at us in our faces wiping blood on our face masks throwing rocks at us blowing marijuana smoke right in our faces i mean it's crazy it was crazy all of which is designed to get you off your game and your mission i want to backtrack the significance of taking the police cars away from you. One of the things is, is a psychological thing is if you needed to retreat and to escape, you've got it. It's there. Did you feel like you were kind of stuck without a, a way of leaving? Yes. A hundred percent. Just because, you know, in that time communication becomes um, need to know and being a person standing there with a riot baton and full riot gear, I wasn't in the need to know. So I didn't know the game plan. I didn't know the end game. We're standing out there. Once they took my car away, I'm like, I don't know when we're going. Like, all I can think about is I'm supposed to get off at 6 a.m., but it doesn't look like that's happening tonight. So I don't know when I'm going home. So there's a lot going on there. 
How big of an adrenaline dump was this for you personally? How long did it continue? Because your, your body can't maintain that adrenaline dump forever, but it has a profound effect on me anyway. Sure. Yeah. So it was probably a good hour, hour and a half from the time we got the call to the time we're standing out there of just full on my body's pumping adrenaline. I'm in fight or flight mode. I'm just strictly my body has put itself into survival mode. Um, I'm not thinking I'm just do Fortunately, I was being told what to do because I don't know if I could have thought for myself, honestly, just the way the adrenaline was going. So you had a, a supervisor, supervisor there with you, sergeant or above, correct? Yes. So they had the within our formation, we had one or two sergeants and I believe a lieutenant. But don't quote me on that. Someone may have more accurate information. I'm just guessing at this point. And generally for the way it works, when you have, and we've never been in a box situation where we had to do that. You usually have, at least in my experience, we had a captain, in our case, it was a major, uh, giving orders. And then when the major had to vacate the scene for whatever reason, the captain took over, then the lieutenant. And I was a, a, a retired of the rank of sergeant. Sergeant is the one who makes the agency go around. They're, they're the first line of management. And as a patrol officer, you're doing what you're told to do. Uh, that's, that's the simplest way I can break it down. Is that a good representation? Yeah, that is a very accurate assessment. And everything had spun up so quickly. I don't know if they had time to establish a command structure or an incident commander just because it, it spun up so fast with it getting out of control and getting groups up there. So, um, but there were, there were definitely sergeants out there trying to run the show and maintain order. How bad was the physical violence for you all? I say you all, that's the officers on the scene, the commanding officers, and also riders. And people love using the term protest. In my opinion, is my opinion only, protesting is like you carry signs, you walk around, you yell, lots of other things. But many of you are throwing stuff and you're assaulting people. It's a riot. Yeah, so this was this was not a protest, and I, I definitely can distinguish between the two, a, between a riot and a protest, because I work the George Floyd stuff, and we saw protests transition to riots and and stuff like that. So we can identify that. And this on Old Concord Road in 2016 was definitely a riot. They were throwing softball-sized rocks at us, full water bottles. They were trying to get cars up through the riot line. Um, I mean, it was full on. It was violent. Police were definitely the target of the violence, but the the rioters were were definitely indiscriminate in throwing rocks and throwing stuff in cars. They didn't care. They were they were targeting the police, but uh, there was certainly a danger to other rioters as well. Were people injured, in, including police? Several police got injured. Um, I remember at one point there was a captain that got hit in the face with I think it was either a rock or a forty. Just bleeding all when over the place. You say 40, that's a 40 ounce bottle of beer. Correct. Yeah. And they're so, not light, they're heavy. They are. They're, 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 it's a pretty heavy projectile to do some damage. Even if it would, I'm wearing my helmet, I get hit in the head with a full 40 ounce beer bottle. It's going to, it's going to jar me a little bit. Yeah. So, I, I wouldn't want to get hit by one. I, 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 that in a brick, I don't want to get hit by. I've been hit by rocks. I've been hit by two by fours. Thank goodness they were waterlogged in and not solid anymore, but I've been hit by all those things. I, you know, I'll be honest with you, Bill, I got, I lost track of how many times I've been hit and struck and uh, all this other stuff. Is that kind of a blur for you during that whole riot? When you're like, did you lose track of how many times you were assaulted and you were hit? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it, you, I mean, you can't keep track because really in the initial situation we were in, we didn't have enough officers to make arrests or really do anything but play defense. So you're just kind of like, well, that rock hit me in the arm, moving on to the next one to try and not get hit by the next one. So yeah, we're just we're just playing defense at that point. Sounds like it's a very intense situation. We will return to our conversation with Bill Broadway in just a few moments. This is a law enforcement today show. When we return, we're gonna talk about the end stage of the rise for him and how it impacted his life after. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Missed an episode of Law Enforcement Today? You don't have to anymore because now you can listen to it on Podopolo, the free new app that makes listening anytime, anywhere so easy. Catch up on shows you've missed and chat with John J. Wiley right there too. Download for free on the Apple or Google Play stores. That's Podopolo. And John J. Wiley wants to hear from you inside Podopolo. The homicide hunter, Joe Kenda, like you've never heard before, on the Law Enforcement Today radio show, which is also available as a podcast. You can listen anytime you want, from anywhere you want, for free, on your smartphone, computer, or wireless speaker devices. Check out the podcast episode with Joe Kenda, Season 5, Episode 18. Go to letradioshow.com or search for Law Enforcement Today Podcast. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Return our conversation with Bill Broadway, a police officer in North Carolina. He was with Charlotte Mecklenburg Police Department for many years. We're talking about the riots that they were dispatched to, and it got out of control. Before we into break, Bill, we're talking about you were in a boxed-in formation, totally defensive mood. You, you had people getting hurt, including police. And earlier I asked you about the adrenaline dump because your body can't really sustain that. And I think you said it was about an hour and a half of fight or flight for you. Correct. It was about an hour and a half of fight or flight, just pure survival, looking around. And we're face to face with people just yelling and screaming at us. And and the first time, I'll tell you, the first time I actually felt relief from that situation, it's crazy what a little bit of light will do for you. But our helicopter flew overhead and put the big spotlight down on the situation. And once you can start seeing, I started feeling a little bit better. Didn't feel great about the situation because it was obviously a lot more visible, but that little bit of light it started as the first time it started feeling like, all right, all right, let's breathe. Let's, let's get through this. And then, um, shortly after that, um, some chemical, chemical munitions and riot shields started arriving on scene. So they handed out the shields. We're starting to feel a little bit better. We're still outnumbered. Um, they tell us to mask up. So we put on our gas mask and they start deploying, um, they start deploying tear gas, which we got gas in the Academy and it was, I remember thinking, this is awful. It was awful. Like, it I, was I, awful. I, <laughs> it was yeah, one of the worst experiences like, of my life. Yeah. I'm like, I don't ever want to get gas again. But in this case, once they started deploying the tear gas and it, I just started feeling it on my skin burning, it was like the best awful feeling ever. Cause I knew at that point we were going to be, we were going to be safe. We were going to survive the night. And um, it started to, to disperse the crowd unfortunately the crowd dispersed onto an interstate and uh shut down the interstate i mean it, it was full-on riot and loot they started pulling stuff out of trucks lighting it on fire truckers are abandoning the loads on the interstate there was a a big chain grocery store nearby that got broken into and got looted 
but eventually they, we got more riot officers spun up and got everything under control for that night. So it, it sounds like you all handled yourselves well. You did the, the best under certainly extremely adverse circumstances. This is one of the big myths that a lot of people have. Our police don't have control. We can't control anybody's state of mind. We can't control anybody's actions. And riots, when you got a mob mentality going on, people who would never do something on their own, when they're in a mob, all of a sudden, everything changes. Yeah, that mob mentality is real, for sure. And I could also relate very strongly to the, the sense of relief from the helicopter and the light, to be able to see potential threats. And there's something very reassuring. I've heard this from many of my people who trained me were Vietnam combat veterans, and they talked about when they were in firefights and really bad situations, their reassurance they would get when they heard the sounds of a helicopter coming, the cavalry that helps on the way. And for police, it's no different. But a big thing uh, I, I was not lost on me was being able to see. Yeah, that was huge. And I don't have that military experience. I don't have that background to make that comparison. But yeah, in that moment, the, the, the helicopter definitely and the, and the ability to see was huge. How long was this event? How long were you exposed to this kind of extreme? I mean, it's a word. It's over, overused. At my show and other places, extreme trauma, because this is very traumatic to go through. Well, and it wasn't like, I mean, the, the prolonged exposure was probably six or seven hours that night. And then it wound down. We went home the next night. Uh, the riots moved downtown. So it was probably another seven or eight hours that night. I mean, and then I'm, we're just talking like, seven or eight hours of just moving people and deploying munitions and running after people, getting loaded up on a bus, getting driven somewhere else to do the same thing. I mean, it was just, it was like something I've never experienced and never thought I would experience in my career in law enforcement. And here I am 10 weeks in dealing with this. Right. That's that's Um, very early in your career. So you really didn't have much of a chance to wind down and relax afterwards, did you? No. So they scheduled us for shifts and we were relieved and got home on time, which blew my mind because Unfortunately, we had enough resources to be able to swap out people, but I would just, after the first probably two or three nights, I would just go home and just crash hard. I'd shower to rinse the tear gas off, go to bed and just out like a light. And I don't remember anything from those sleeves except my alarm would go off. I'd wake up and do it again. Then about the third night, third or fourth night, we actually had some downtime. So my body started winding down during the third or fourth night of the, of the riots and the third or fourth night, I distinctly remember I went home and went to bed. And that's when, my, if you read all anything about critical incident stress and PTSD and, and all that stuff, my brain started trying to process everything and sort it and put it into a, put it into a category where it can make sense of everything. And that's when, like, I, I remember distinctly having a dream about a police situation. It wasn't, didn't, wasn't a riot situation, but it was a police situation. I'm yelling, drop the gun, drop the gun in my dream. And next thing I know, my wife is waking me up and she's like, is everything okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, I was just having a weird dream. So just another day in the office. You were yelling. Yeah, I've, I and I don't have them as frequently as I used to, but I still have them periodically. And my wife, yeah, she's gotten used to them. And I met her years after retiring. I don't believe they ever totally go away. And in my case, Bill, they're not exactly the situation that was that, that were triggered this or traumatic situations. They have nothing to do with it. Right. And mine was the same thing. My dream had nothing to do with riots. It was just, but it was police work and it was, I was just trying to get someone to drop a gun or something. But, and 
I, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't have clinical training, but I think that was my brain just trying to find a spot to put the, the trauma stuff to make it make sense. And that was the closest thing it could find. Did you find after this that you started doing things differently to compensate or to try to get back to your center? Not a whole lot. I don't think my trauma, my trauma was bad for me and, and trauma is in, in compensating and recovery and stuff. That's obviously very individualistic. Um, at, at, my, at that point in my career, I had not experienced a lot of police stuff. So that was, that was a bad situation for me. But you know, as I worked through it and got, just made sure I got proper sleep, um, I think my brain kind of put everything where it needed to go, started healing, and I started to get back to a spot where where I was good. I'm glad to hear that. And because unfortunately in situations like that, we lose a lot of people. A lot of people quit, say this isn't for me. And they were great. They were great officers. Yeah. So, um, in 2020, I was a member of the, one of, one of our public order bike squads and a guy in my bike squad during the George Floyd protest, he just, after, as soon as they were done, he quit. He was done because he just couldn't deal with the trauma. And and I get it. It was it was bad. It was violent. And like I said, everyone's got a different threshold. So no judgment. But he was I, he was like right beside me. We both went through the exact same stuff. And it was um, he had been a, a cop longer than than I was. So yeah. it might have been a, a, a cumulative effect of of everything. So but he and, quit and right it, after that. It really bothers me because we have people that. You know, let's just say very quickly, you have rookies, then you have about five years in, you start feeling your oats and get really good at what you do. At the 10-year mark, that's when people become really good police. And that's where a lot of them, the, the, cumulative, the cumulative trauma takes its toll, and they wind up leaving law enforcement. And nothing against rookies. We can't have departments that are run by all young people because it becomes dysfunctional. How can people get a hold of you? You're on social media, correct? Correct. I'm on, uh, I'm on Instagram. It's at B Broadway four one right now working on getting into a lot of uh, nutrition and fitness stuff. Um, working through some certification to start working through some certification stuff. And I want to work with, uh, police officers on fitness and nutrition or first responders in general. Um, just because I think that a good fitness and nutrition regimen are key to both physical and mental wellness. I agree a hundred percent. The working out for me and I got to get back in the gym, but working out for me, it's mentally therapeutic as much as it is physical. By the way, Bill Broadway is such a great name. If there's not a better name for building a brand with, I don't know that one exists and it almost sounds like you're making that name up, but that is your given name. That that is my given name, but yeah, it does I, when people question it, people question it on calls all the time. Like that's not your real name. Well, yeah, yeah I'm in the witness protection program. That's what they gave me. <laughs> Bill, thanks so much for being a guest on the Law Enforcement Today Show. If anybody wants to reach out to Bill, just contact me. Thanks again. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Jay, for having me. If you're on the Clubhouse Drop In Audio Chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John. The letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. The Law Enforcement Today Radio Show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able... Leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.